Excellent. All right. Well, welcome to uh, our, our last class in our evangelism series. We have to keep spanning the room the whole time to look at you guys, uh, but it's totally fine. It, it's very it's very densely packed in here, so I totally understand the spread out. I totally get it. Um, as as we begin, as we normally do, are there any folks who, and I think most people have, but is there anybody who hasn't raised their hand and offered folks uh, for that we could be praying for? Um, I think we covered everyone who's here. Steve, okay, go please. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity again to um, come together around uh, this wonderful subject of evangelism. I pray that we would uh, be edified and encouraged in this class today. I pray that you would be glorified and lifted up. And Lord, I pray for Again, the salvation of those whom we hold dear in our lives. I pray for the salvation for those whom we don't hold dear in our lives, Lord. I pray that we would be a people who yearn to see our Lord rejoice over his elect coming to saving faith. And we thank you for your grace, Lord. We pray for Steve's wife that she may have um, just a, a, a bit of healing and an abundance of energy, Lord, and that you would be glorified in that as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, um, and uh, for those here as well as watching at home or watching later, um, two tiny bits of housekeeping before we begin. First one is at the end of the, uh, the, the whole, I, I mentioned the beginning of the series that we would be having an evangelistic outing opportunity that would happen. Um, the date is still TBD, but the basic idea is that we would meet here at the church. Um, we would sort of kind of plan a route or have a route planned already. I would, I would do that. Um, break up into small groups, two or three, and kind of just go door to door for a couple of hours and um, see if we can uh, you know, preach the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, preaching door to door cold is a little different than talking to someone you've got a relationship with, and so I would give just a couple of quick um, uh, suggestions as to how to open a conversation before we would go, we would pray, um, and then we would come back and sort of do a recap afterwards. Um, and then if it worked out, we could do more of those, or, or it could be a, a one-time thing, not a big deal. Um, if you are interested in participating in that, uh, let me know, either at the end of the class or via Faith Life or just anytime, um, and I'll make sure that you're uh, um, on the list, not that there's a list. Uh, and then uh, I'll probably post it on Faith Life as well so that there's a general church awareness for it. Uh, other piece of housekeeping is uh, feedback on the class. Um, I personally am, am passionate to see more uh, of things like this happening at, at Veritas and uh, would love to get feedback on how we can you know, make it better. Um, and I'm not, this is not fishing for compliments. Please don't hear me say that. This is more, so you can, you can totally ignore me if you want. You can even say, great class, bad teacher, if you want. That's totally fine. Um, it doesn't offend me. Uh, it might, but it, it probably shouldn't. Um, 
the 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 I, I'm more talking about you know either the subject matter. Did we go at too high a level? Uh, was it too detailed? Too long? Too short? Start times? Different days of the week? A anything that can help, I think, uh, make these these classes better or more frequent here. I would love to hear that feedback. Um, not asking for it now. Again, any point in time is fine. You can also message on Faith Life too. Um, all right, well, let's jump in uh, to our class this morning. I put a lengthy summary of prior weeks in your notes there. Um, I, I'm not going to read it all. It really is the summary of the entirety of the last five weeks. Um, but I uh, do want to reiterate some of the principles that we covered last week, uh, specifically that our fundamental job, this is the, looks like the fifth bullet, our fundamental job is to communicate that we must trust that God put his own son to death, punishing Jesus for our actual sins as a substitute, and now credits the risen and reigning Lord's perfect life to us as if we had lived it, such that we are viewed as righteous before God. That is our fundamental message. To communicate that message effectively, we need to provide whatever context is necessary for a given person to understand that message the single most important bit of context that we is that we are sinners who deserve the infinite wrath of a holy and just God. And then finally, there's no specific path, no single order, no magical words to communicating this information. Um, it is going to be pretty flexible as we evangelize. So our class today is really just sort of, it's, it's kind of focused on that last one a little bit. Um, but in, in my experience over the years, uh, plus a number of books on evangelism, you know, there, there are some best practices, there are some things to think through, there are some things you wouldn't necessarily uh, think about, especially if you're new to evangelism. So this class is just meant to be kind of going through a slew of almost random helpful things. Um, hopefully there's a little bit of a flow to it, but not really, it's just a bunch of random things that are helpful. Um, I'm going to pause at the about 10 minutes before we end the class. Um, I'll, I think I have enough content to go the whole time. Um, but if there are burning issues, if you have a question you've wanted to ask, how do I do this in a situation? What about this? Someone said this to me, what do I say back? If there's burning issues specifically on the subject of, of practical helps and suggestions, um, I'll pause at the end to give a chance to have folks ask those questions answer some of those burning things, and then we can continue on and conclude. Um, it may mean I, I don't get to everything on here. If no one has any burning questions, then we'll just go strictly according to our agenda. Um, but I do want to give that opportunity to make sure that what I'm covering is actually useful to all of you. Make sense? Cool. All right, so uh, let's jump into things. In your notes, uh, it's a little bit longer than normal because I put the header and then the briefest summary of the content that I'm going to say. Um, I did that in case we don't get to everything. Um, some of those headers are meant to be snarky or tongue-in-cheek. It's okay to laugh. I will be offended if you don't, so uh, please do. Uh, but that, you know, they're, they're meant to be funny, so. If they read weird, that's why. All right, so first item, uh, recognize our post-Christian culture. I should just say, I won't actually be offended in case you, you don't get my sense of humor, so feel free not to laugh, that's fine. Um, first item, recognize our post-Christian culture. Um, there's a couple of depressing items on our, on our agenda today. Uh, this is one of them. 
um, you know, America is, you know, I think both in terms of the, the, the research that's out there as well as my own personal experience, we are heading ever increasingly towards a post-Christian culture. Um, a post-Christian culture is simply one that was Christianized at one point in time. A Christian culture does not mean that everybody was a believer. It really refers to two things, that Christianity is or was the dominant religion and that there was a high degree of biblical literacy. Um, if you go back 50 years, not like the 60s and 70s were a super holy time, uh, but if you asked people basic tenets of the faith, basic concepts, there would at least be a familiarity with it. Um, if you want to picture, think of the Middle East. Um, even if you aren't, if you're in a Muslim country, even if you aren't a Muslim, uh, your understanding of the terms, the context, the rituals, the, the holidays, you'd probably have a pretty good understanding of Islam if you lived in one of those countries. In the same way, uh, America generally functioned that way, but we are getting, every subsequent generation seems to be less and less biblically literate. Um, the number of people who are professing faith in Christ tends to go down in general. Um, We're heading in that direction. Um, and, you know, depending on who you're talking to, if you're talking to someone, again, who is more senior in age, probably a different story, but if you're talking to the younger generations and each subsequent one, you should probably expect them to be more pagan than otherwise. Um, which means, and this is the second point, we should plan and prepare to be preaching to pagans, which really just means don't forget the basics. Um, it's easy for us, I think, um, especially having lived uh, with, for some amount of time uh, with, with the Bible and with uh, a Christian worldview and, 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 and with sound doctrine uh, to sort of take for granted that people understand those terms, especially if you are in a generation where those, um, those basic biblical literacy elements were more common. Um, but unless, I think the, the principle I want to convey is because we are seeing a more, uh, a movement towards post-Christian culture in America, we should generally assume the people that we're talking to don't have that same framework. Be prepared to have to explain even simple things like what sin is. Uh, be prepared to have to go through things that you take for granted in your daily life. Um, now, of course, if you know that the person you're speaking to is an atheist who grew up in a Christian home, you, don't, you, 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 know, you can presume certain things. Um, if you know something different about your audience, if this is the 30th time you've evangelized your sister, um, she probably understands the concept of sin. She's probably sick of hearing it. You don't need to go through it again. Um, but just be prepared to go through even basic things. Don't take for granted that people that you're talking with are conversant. Um, on those basic biblical truths. Uh, third point, tailor your approach or don't. It's up to you. Um, you know, when I, when I preach the gospel to someone, I am comfortable enough with the scriptures, with the gospel, with my ability to improvise, um, that I'm happy to play off of whatever situation is in front of me. If my sister and I um, are having a conversation and she tells me that she is uh, going to move in with her boyfriend this weekend, you know, I, I could go to the scriptures, talk about, you know, point out specific scriptures on fornication or sexual morality and launch into the gospel that way. Um, if I'm talking with my neighbor who I know very, very little about, um, I can talk about the gospel in a general way and let whatever the conversation we're having sort of serve as a natural launching point into uh, into the into witnessing to them. 
I'm comfortable with it. Um, if you are in that same place, great, cool. Uh, that sound, that's great. Uh, tailor your presentation to the moment. Um, but you don't have to. You, uh, it's not a prerequisite of evangelism that you be an expert conversationalist or, or all-star debater. Um, if you feel more comfortable having a standardized way or approach to present the gospel, that's okay too. Um, part of evangelism, I think, is actually being comfortable with how you go about communicating the message. You, know, you, you kind of have to be you a little bit in it. Um, you know, I, in the very, very last page of your notes, uh, you'll see the Romans Road. Um, I'm not necessarily endorsing that, um, but it is an example of a standardized way to present the gospel to someone. It's really a framework. It's a Q&A. It's a question with some verses from Romans that you know, walk someone through the concept of sin to faith. Um, it requires a lot of explanation, a lot of explanation. You can't simply quote it at someone, um, but it is a, a, an example of a way of kind of getting from point A to point B. Um, and so if you uh, uh, like having that framework, those guardrails as you present the gospel, that's totally fine. Do you? Um, don't think that you have to you know, be able to sort of free flow this in a conversation. If, however, you do take a standardized approach, uh, it can't be a script. Um, if it's a script, you will never, ever, ever preach the gospel because your conversation will never fit that script and it'll, it'll just never happen. Um, so, you know, to have some flexibility has to be there, but it's fine either to be completely free form, it's fine to have a standardized approach, um, but pick one and, and kind of go with it. Um, next point, remember the awesomeness of Romans 1 through 3. Uh, specifically 118 to 326. You can go to the end of the chapter if you want, but um, those, it, it, and I don't care if you are a brand new believer who's never evangelized before or someone who's been doing it for 50 years, I will say the same thing to you. You could benefit from spending more time in Romans 1 through 3. Everybody can. Um, it is a brilliant section of scripture. Paul not only lays out an amazing amount of quotable truth there, but the way he develops his argument in those passages is amazingly universally applicable. Um, there is real value in not just seeing what he says, but how he says it. Um, Romans 1 through 3 is essentially a presentation of sin. That's what it's focused on. Um, at the end of the chapter, he talks a little bit about the propitiating work of Jesus Christ. Um, but the rest of Romans really covers that more. One through three is primarily about the presentation of sin, and he does it in a brilliant way. Um, so, you know, and, and you can use it in all different circumstances. Um, going back to my sister example, when she says she's, she's gonna be living with her boyfriend, um, you know, I can go to Romans one, I can show her the, the sexual disordering of our lives as a result from our idolatry, um, and I can go to chapter two and talk to her about the wrath of God. Um, if I am talking with my neighbor, whom I know very little about, I can go to the same passage in Romans 1 and show him our obligations as creatures to our creator. I can go to the end of chapter 1 and show him sort of the, the, the general sin that results from a disordering of our lives, and then go to chapters 2 or 3 again to point out that the result of those things is death and the wrath of God. Um, it, it's it's universally applicable. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of truth there, and there are very few situations where those passages don't give you some helpful um, um, pathway and truth to preaching the gospel to someone. Um, I cannot emphasize enough how useful those passages are. Um, 
Speaking of Romans 1 and 2, uh, don't forget to make it personal. The hardest part about evangelizing is telling someone that they're a sinner. It's easy to talk about sin. It's really easy to talk about sin. Yeah, sin exists. It's terrible. God's wrathful for it. It's something else to say, you are a sinner. I'm talking about you. You deserve the wrath of God. That's harder, much harder. Uh, talking about it in the third person is easier to accept uh, as a listener. Uh, being told you are a sinner is harder to accept. Um, and so it's easy for us, I think, in my experience, to sort of want to do it more generally and not to want to personally apply it. Uh, but going back to Romans 1 and 2, we see Paul very clearly applying it. So if you look at chapter 1, you don't have to look at it now, but take my word for it. Um, the pronouns that Paul uses are all third person plural. It's they, it's them. Um, you know, God gave them over to sexual morality. They did these things. Chapter two, Paul uses second person singular. It's you. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Paul makes it intensely personal. And in the same way, we do too. If we don't make people understand that they are sinners, not just that sin exists and sin is bad, we're, we're doing a disservice to them. We're, we're fundamentally, I think, punting in our evangelistic message. Uh, <laughs> related, let go of being liked. Um, evangelism will make you unpopular. It will make you the neighborhood buzzkill. Uh, it may even make you a pariah. Um, if you want to be liked, you are going to have to learn to let that go. Evangelism requires us to have a certain amount of thick skin. It just does. All right. Uh, know your surroundings and pick your settings. I, I should pause here and say some of what I'm communicating this morning, and you'll notice there's not a whole lot of text of scripture around it because these are these are best practices, helpful hints and suggestions. This is certainly not a uh, God hath said uh, class, um, so please don't hear me saying that. Some of these things are, they're not meant to bind consciences. They're really just meant to be sort of, you know, 15 years of experience and mistakes that I've made um, and trying to uh, forestall those for yourself. Um, if you don't like them, that's fine. If you disagree with them, that's fine too. Let's talk about it. Um, there are probably nuances. I'm, I'm being maybe over, overly general in certain cases, um, but don't take these as, as commandments or obligations. It's not meant to be that way. Um, and a good example of that is this next one. So, you know, know your surroundings and pick your setting. In evangelism, there are two types of scenarios. There's the moments that you seize, and then there's the moments that you plan. Those are the two, <laughs> there's, there's no other category. Moments that you seize and moments that you plan. Um, if you are planning an evangelistic encounter, we're going to go door to door. If you are uh, going to invite someone out to, to lunch to talk through the gospel or coffee or whatever else, in a situation like that, you control where you're going to do it and when you're going to do it. Um, and we can, we should absolutely be aware of those situations, those contexts, those surroundings. Uh, walking up to someone who's sitting on a park bench to preach the gospel to them, that's fine. Walking up to someone or someone's in a crowd when they're watching their kid's high school football game, it's not so good. You will get completely ignored. You may get yelled at. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's different in those contexts. You wanna, you wanna be aware of the situation. If you're going to have a proactive conversation with someone around a meal, 
do not do it in a restaurant with a waiter. Don't. Uh, you'll get interrupted every five minutes. Do it in a place where you can place an order, get your food, and go sit somewhere. Um, if you want to do it with a waiter, that's fine. Just be prepared to have those interruptions. But it's, it's just, it's not, it's not nearly as good. Uh, don't pick a place where there's loud music. Um, don't pick a place where people are densely packed in. Uh, I don't like being told I'm a sinner, and I really don't like being told I'm a sinner with a crowd. Um, you know, so do it where you have some, some privacy, some, some isolation. Um, you know, basic, basic things. If you're going to seize a moment, this one, this one might be a, a very debatable point. I want to highlight that. Uh, you can disagree with this. But if you're going to pick a moment, recognize you only get a couple of times generally to preach to someone. Uh, in my experience, you get one, maybe two polite listenings before someone tells you to knock it off with the religious stuff, generally. Um, I have yet to find someone who is, uh, has inexhaustible patience for me wanting to witness the, you know, to them. Uh, it, eventually, they cut it off. And so, you know, it, pick your battles, I think. If you're going to seize the moment, if you're going to use the moment to want to, to preach the gospel to someone, and you know that in three minutes you're going to get interrupted or, or something's going to happen, that may not be the best time to do it. Plant a seed, uh, tee up a conversation for later, um, you know, try to set an appointment, something along those lines, but pick your battles. Um, I have done it where I have just seized the moment regardless of whether it was a good idea, and the person realized that's what they want to talk to me about. I'm good. No. And the conversation shut down. Every time I brought it up again, they knew exactly where I was going to go, and so I was done. I had one shot with that person, and I, I picked a bad moment for it. Um, so pick your battles. Pick your battles. I think there's wisdom as to when you end up doing it. Um, now, that said, <laughs> please don't expect perfect circumstances. Um, in the last 15 years, I have evangelized in parking lots, parks, over the phone, at parties, in between stocking shelves, uh, on a car ride, usually at the end of the car ride for some reason, on the street. I, I, I spent some time thinking about it. There was one time in my life that I can actually remember having a secluded, extended, um, quiet conversation with someone. You know, it's always generally been with some degree of distraction, some degree of interruption. Um, if you wait for that perfect moment, it will never come. So pick your battles, but also recognize it's never going to be perfect, and you're going to kind of have to jump into things as they stand. Uh, I should have numbered these instead of lettered them, but H, remember that there is nothing new under the sun. Um, Ecclesiastes 1.9 is a remarkably true statement in a book that is perfectly true. Um, it, it just, it just over and over and over again, I, I see the truth of, of the fact that there really is nothing new under the sun. We tend to fall into patterns of behavior. Uh, I mentioned in, in my sermon a couple of weeks ago, or I'm sorry, in the class a couple of weeks ago, that, that sin makes us stupid. Um, in the same way, sin also tends to make us fairly predictable. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. When you, if you were to take 100 people and you were to tell them that they are a sinner, you're not going to get 100 different responses. You're going to get four or five different categories of responses. It may be expressed slightly differently, but you're generally going to get the same patterns. Uh, you may get someone who says, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm a pretty terrible person. Um, I've, I've had that happen. There, there's, no, there's no repentance, there's no, there's no faith that goes along with it, but they, they know they're terrible. Um, you may get someone who says, you know, I, 
I, I grant you, I've sinned, I've committed sin, but I'm fundamentally a good person. Uh, you may get someone who acknowledges that they're not a good person, but they are completely trusting in some nebulous, undefined uh, kindness of God where he just kind of wipes all sins out. Uh, you'll get some people who ve vehemently deny that they are a sinner, but there's only a certain number of responses that you're generally going to get. As you preach the gospel, as you evangelize, notice those patterns. Spend some time thinking about what was said, how the conversation went, how they, how they responded. I, I suspect you will find that there will be patterns. Um, and that, that's, that's a beautiful thing because then you can, you can think about those patterns and you can come up with responses uh, to those patterns as opposed to having to you know, have a hundred different answers. We tend to see the same things happen over and over and over again. Um, so if you get stumped, that's fine. You know, think of a counter later, get some advice from somebody, file it away from next time because I can almost promise you it will come up again. That same general response will come up and you can use it. Um, if you are presenting something and you find yourself going down a rabbit hole, change how you present it later. Because um, again, the same situation is going to come up, the same conversational triggers will generally occur. Does that make sense? Any of this not make sense so far? I'm going fast, I realize, too. Any, any questions on anything so far? Any disagreements on anything so far? No? Okay, excellent. Uh, letter I, avoid unnecessary offense. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9 real fast. There's a couple of times we're going to look at a passage. This is one of them. 1 Corinthians 9. So we're going to look at uh, 12 to 14 and then 19 to 23. Uh, so 12 to 14. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those uh, who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial alterings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So two principles we want to see here. Number one, it is possible to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. That's what verse 12 says. It's possible to do that. Um, in context, uh, Paul is uh, explaining why, though he has a right to make a living for the gospel, he chooses not to exercise that right. And why does he say that? Well, that's what verse 12 is. We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul has a right, but he does not want money to be a reason why the gospel becomes a stumbling block for somebody. How we evangelize, how we conduct ourselves can make it difficult for the gospel to move forward. Uh, God is 100% sovereign, but we operate in a human world. We preach the gospel to people with thoughts, feelings, attitudes, preconceived notions. It's kind of silly to pretend otherwise. Here is a really uh, exaggerated example to prove that point. Imagine, for the women in the room, for some reason, you guys are here till like, you know, 10 o'clock tonight. It's super dark when you leave. You parked like three blocks over for some reason, and uh, you guys are all going to leave the room. And there's a bunch of little hidey holes you know, in this, in this parking lot or, you know, dumpsters and places for people to be sleeping or whatever else. Now imagine you're walking to your cars and I jump out at like 10, 15 that night and I say, can I tell you about Jesus? 
how many of you are going to give me a listen? Probably none of you, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's a freaky thing. I'm probably going to get maced. I deserve it if I do. <laughs> like, you're not, you're not, you're not going to want to listen to that. Um, in the same way, we can present a gospel in a way that creates a stumbling block. And, any, and when we look at verses 19 to 23, I think this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about uh, avoiding unnecessary offense so as to not put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. So, and David Reeves asked about this last week, um, 19 to 23 reads, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, again, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Um, Paul knew that if he went to a synagogue on a Saturday eating a ham sandwich, he would not get a listen. In the same way, um, you know, if we were to if we were to preach the gospel to someone and our presentation was laden with profanity, um, if if we were to go evangelizing in the park after you know um, a rough night, smelling bad and, and looking terrible, we're not going to get a listen. We we can do things that put obstacles in the gospel's path. Um, avoid unnecessary offense, be aware of your conduct as you're preaching the gospel. Um, otherwise, we give people a reason to slander the gospel and shut the door in our face. Letter J, invite people to church. Uh, there is nothing wrong with inviting people to church. Uh, heartily recommend that you do it. Um, the gospel is everywhere in a faithful church, as we covered in a previous class. It's literally baked into our Sunday worship. Um, and so invite them to church. But invitations to church are, are more than just an opportunity to bring someone to the gospel. Uh, they're a great way to prompt a conversation. You know, I've had a number of times where I've invited folks to church, and you know, more often than not, you actually, you know, they, they may ask you about it. You get a chance to explain your church, what you believe, you know. It, it's a great way to sort of lead into a gospel conversation, even if indirectly. Um, talking about your church can, you know, open doors to conversations in general. Um, in fact, when we go door to door, that's probably how I will recommend that we start is, you know, uh, talk about Veritas, offer uh, people to come to church, and let that be the lead into the conversation that we have. Um, and also, two invitations to church are a great way to end a conversation. If someone's shutting the door in your face, literally or figuratively, um, you know, invite them to church. Worst case scenario, they don't come. Best case scenario, they do. Um, but it's a, it's a good way to end a conversation in a non-offensive way um, and still have some hope for the future for them. Letter K, always be ready to give a defense. First uh, Peter 3.15 We've, we've quoted it in previous classes, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So in context, 1 Peter 3.15 is um, more about standing firm in being persecuted for uh, doing the right thing. So in 1 Peter 3, Peter is generally assuming um, that you are under some degree of persecution for righteousness' sake. Um, he, right before this, he tells his hearers, 
don't be troubled, don't be afraid, and he tells them, stand firm. And part of that standing firm is to be ready to explain why you're living the life that you are, and specifically because you are looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. You know, if you are being persecuted for righteousness' sake, you know, defend why you're still going to do the right thing is essentially what he's saying here. Um, but there's obviously an evangelistic flavor to it. Um, <clears throat> I don't mean to spiritualize this text. I don't think I'm spiritualizing this text. But I think what Peter is pointing out here is that you, there are going to be different circumstances in your life in which you may be asked to explain why you are living the way that you are. Um, it could be in a persecutorial context. Um, it could be in a surprise context. You know, a stereotypical example is, you know, I, you know, if 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 my wife asks if she looks bad in something, I'm not going to lie to her about it. I'm going to tell her, or I'm going to dance around it, but I'm going to I'm going to tell her the truth. Um, and if I was telling that to a coworker, I could easily expect a coworker to tell me, why didn't you just lie to her? Well. There's a reason why I'm not going to lie to her. I'm never, ever going to lie to her. Um, you may get asked, not in a persecutorial context or a surprise context, but you just may be asked why your life is different. Um, I have been asked why in situations where everybody else was freaking out, I was calm. And the answer to that question is, is because I believe in a sovereign God who works all things together for my good. Um, you know, as, as we live our lives in a way, whether it gives offense to someone or not, there are often times that we get asked about our lives. And those are really great examples or great times, opportunities, to bring the gospel to the situation. Um, I had, I remember one time, I was um, brought into my manager's office years and years ago. Um, and I had just essentially killed myself working through something. Um, and it stood out. You know, this is, it, it, it was a good thing. They recognized it and they asked, why? You know, what, what motivates you? What makes you work as hard as you do? I could have said it's the right thing to do. I could have said um, I like my job. Both things were true. But I said the, the, the thing that motivates me, honestly, is because my Lord and Savior tells me to do this, and so I'm doing it. Um, you can answer questions like that in a way that prompts the gospel, or you can answer questions like that in a way that doesn't. Consider those sorts of things. Um, <laughs> I had a, uh, a friend years ago, um, he would take even mundane questions and attempt to turn them into gospel opportunities. If you asked him how he was doing, his answer was better than I deserved. Um, and because he expected people to go, what does that mean? Um, there were some people who thought he was depressed, mind you. Um, but uh, there were a few people who asked, well, what does that mean? What do you mean? What have you done? And he, he launched into the gospel because of it. Um, there's a way of taking even mundane things and, uh, and, and bringing the gospel to it. Um, how was your weekend? How often do you get asked that question? How was your weekend? Oh, weekend was good. Did you do anything fun? Uh, yeah, we went to the water park. Okay. Or you can talk about church. You can talk about, you know, because theoretically, church should be the, the highlight of our week, the highlight of our weekend. Uh, do you think fun? Yeah, I went to church. Our pastor preached a fantastic sermon on, on uh, Hosea or Micah or whatever. Um, no offense, Eric. Uh, I, don't, I don't know which one it is this week. Um, <laughs> but, but, the, but the point is, 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 you know, you can take those mundane things and you can make them opportunities. Again, no obligation. I'm not laying a burden down. Um, but consider making opportunities as you do that. 
Uh, let's see. Yeah, engaging with the believer. So this one is interesting. Um, I don't know how often it's a, you've experienced it, but it's been maybe like 20% of the time I will talk to someone who I know nothing about, and amazingly, they're a faithful believer. They want to end the conversation right there, but man, are they, they, they're, they're already a believer, they grew up with the faith, you know, whatever. Um, if you've ever preached to the homeless, 99% of them will profess faith the first time you talk with them. It's true. Um, and so w- what do you do when you come across somebody who, you know, names the name of Christ, but <laughs> very clearly isn't a believer, or you have no idea if they're a believer, you know, do you just like end the conversation there? Do you take them at their profession? You know, what do you do? Um, and again, no, no burden, no obligation. Uh, when I, years ago, I would, I would try to sort of ask them about their faith. Um, I would, you know, try to unpack kind of what they, what they believed or didn't believe. Uh, it ended up feeling like an interview um, and it was uncomfortable for everybody and the conversations rarely went anywhere. Um, so one fun trick that I eventually figured out was to just say, oh, great, that's awesome. And then I'd ask them about their church. Um, I'd ask them where they'd go. And you know, some people would say, oh, well, no, I'm a, you know, I said I was a Christian, but maybe you can consider me a lapsed Catholic or something along those lines, in which case that's a whole different conversation. But oftentimes, someone would say, oh, yeah, I go to, I go to Bayside or I go to you know, this church or that church. Um, and, um, you know, oftentimes I would have no familiarity with the church itself. And so I would just ask the question, do, do they, does the preacher preach um, uh, expositorily there? And do they preach the full gospel? And more often than not, people have no idea what expository preaching is. Um, or and, and they have no idea what I mean by the full gospel. And I usually emphasize those words. And it was, it was useful to sort of get them to open up a little bit more, to talk about what their church was like, what they were hearing, what they weren't hearing, whether they were actually going at all. Um, and so it was just a, a useful way to sort of interact with people. Um, I do recommend that. Um, and you, can, you know, Again, if someone names the name of Christ, you can end the conversation there. But if you do want to tease it out, asking them about their church seems to be a pretty effective way of continuing the conversation in a non-offensive way and getting to what they actually believe. Uh, but talking with people who profess the name of Christ but don't actually believe is a, is a thorny, thorny conversation. Um, Letter M, consider building deliberate uh, relationships. Uh, I think it was D.A. Carson. I, I could be misattributing that. Um, but he, he once noted that when he goes to the grocery store, it's the same grocery store. And he tries to go each week at the same time. When he goes to the gas station to get gas, he tries to make it the same gas station, tries to generally make it you know, the same, same time period during the week. Not because he is OCD, but because he absolutely wanted to try to meet the same people over and over and over again to build a relationship with them um, to be able to, to evangelize. He was deliberate about how he spent his time uh, in order to uh, create opportunities for the gospel. Um, and so in the same way, it's something that we can consider doing. Again, no obligation. I'm not saying you have to go to the gas station at 3 p.m. every Friday. Please don't hear me say that. Um, but it is another thing that we can do if we are passionate about seeing the gospel go out, um, you know, focus potentially on building those deliberate relationships. Um, I mean, who else, who else in our lives could we spend just a little bit 
of time with over time for the sake of the gospel and potentially bear fruit? And that's maybe the question that we could ask ourselves. Again, no guilt, no obligation, no shame. Letter N, there is no shame in simply planting seeds, so long as you're not doing it exclusively. Um, the, the concept of planting seeds essentially refers to introducing bits of the gospel instead of the whole thing. Um, maybe you talk about sin in general without getting personal um, or going back to the church example, you talk about what church you go to and why you go there. Uh, this morning I was, get, I was getting gas and the gas station attendant asked me, saw me wearing a collared shirt at, you know, 7.55 on a Sunday and asked me if I was going to work or uh, did, was doing something fun and, uh, you know, definitely didn't ask me if I was going to church, but that was, that was a conversation that I, that I had. I, yeah, I'm going to church. Um, he, didn't, he didn't follow up. It was a quick, you know, quick, I'm paying for gas and that was it. Um, but that conversation easily could have turned into, oh, where do you go to church? I go to Veritas. You know, really? It's a, you know, it's a, doesn't it seem a little early? Or, or, or you could ask about the pandemic. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a million ways where that, that could be an opportunity to at least let him know that I'm going to church because of the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ to me or something along those lines. I'm not going to have an opportunity to present the whole gospel to the guy in the 45 seconds it takes for my credit card to get rung up. Um, but I can at least plant a seed. Sometimes that is all you can do, and that's perfectly legitimate to do. That said, if planting seeds is your entire evangelistic strategy, you're doing it wrong. Um, it flies in the face of everything we've said so far in this class. Planting seeds exclusively is not faithful evangelism. But again, sometimes it's all you can do. Um, you know, uh, if you're, <laughs> it's, if you're, it's a quick conversation, you're talking to someone who doesn't want to talk to you, you're, you're paying the pizza guy, uh, using the example from last week, you know, there's nothing wrong with planting a seed. It's, it's fantastic. Please try it. Um, it's all you can do, and that's fine. Uh, letter O, don't let yourself get conversationally distracted. So this one is a, a new one. Um, probably wouldn't have said this a year ago, but... You know, right now in our culture, uh, there is a lot that's being printed about um, uh, evangelicalism, a lot. Uh, a lot of it is fairly unflattering. A lot of it is tied to the political realm. Um, and the type of Christianity being talked about is not biblical Christianity. It's a charismatic, prosperity-centered uh, prosperity, prosperity gospel-centered, uh, generally false Christianity. Um, it would not surprise me as you evangelize if people associate that picture that's in the news with what you're saying. Um, and certainly, if that's what you were trying to sell someone, I wouldn't be interested in buying it either. Um, and so I think we may have to prepare ourselves more and more to clarify the, the gospel message that we are preaching with this sort of false cultural Christianity that's out there right now that's being talked about. So uh, be prepared to have to make those distinctions. Um, also, in terms of things to be prepared for, uh, prepare to be disappointed. Um, Jesus tended to warn his disciples about bad things so they didn't lose faith. Well, guess what? Uh, your batting average is probably going to be pretty poor if you're talking about counting success as people who come to saving faith. Um, You'll strike out a lot. You'll have people who don't want to hear it. Relationships can change or end. People will get mad at you. You'll probably get made fun of. Um, 
and, and those are all things we should just steal ourselves for. If we're surprised at it, uh, we can react poorly. So be prepared to be disappointed. And then my last point, and I realize I forgot to pause and ask for a question, so I will say this and then ask you <laughs> if there's anything that you want to cover. Uh, but know what to do when you catch a fish. Uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus told Peter that he was going to be a fisher of men, so I'm playing off of that a little bit. If you invited me to go fishing, I know how to fish. I, I know what to do. Um, I have no idea what to do when I catch one, though. Once I get it into the boat or onto the shore, I don't know how to clean it. I don't know how to flay it. I could cook it, but there's a middle section. I've got no idea what to do. Um, in the same way, if you are preaching to someone and they, they do repent, they do come to saving faith, have a plan. Know what to do. Uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't freak out. Don't, uh, don't say, cool, great, and then leave. I mean, you know, the, you know ha have some idea of how to proceed. And I put a couple things in your notes there. Um, number one, don't just walk away. You caught the fish. You got to clean it. It's your job now. Uh, you have some personal responsibility there. Get their contact information. Give them yours. Uh, if you have time, consider going through the basics with them. You know, Bible reading, recommend a translation, finding a church home, baptism. If you don't have time, maybe offer to set up time later. Um, make some effort to help them find a church they can slot into. Um, if they're local, invite them to Veritas. If they aren't, try to get them some trusted recommendations. As someone who came to Saving Faith apart from someone preaching to me, I, I, was, I was literally in the process of, of converting to Judaism when I came to Saving Faith. There, there wasn't someone who was preaching the gospel to me. Um, I had no idea what to do, and I had what I would consider negative discernment. Um, I picked the first church that was the closest to my house. That was a mistake. Um, there were a lot of stupid things that I did that I wish someone had told me not to do. Um, if you do catch a fish to, to beat that dead horse, uh, help them. Don't, don't just abandon them. Don't let them you know, wander. Have a plan for how you can support that believer, at least getting them plugged in someplace. It's not, you know, you didn't, you didn't just buy a puppy. It's not like you're responsible for that person for the rest of your life, but, but help get them plugged in somewhere, somewhere faithful. All right. Any burning topics or questions for things I didn't cover that you wish I had? Jose. Uh, just, just some, there's some positive things about Absolutely. Yeah. So for those at home, Jose is saying that evangelism can be absolutely encouraging to one soul as well, just inherently, um, and 100% agree. Anything else? Jocelyn.
difficult because most often they're trusting that that person is in heaven because they have this terrible loss. But then if you share the gospel with them, you're going to be letting them know that that yeah. person, yeah. So. Yeah. Suggestions? <laughs> I think so. The question is, when you're talking to someone and, who is not a believer, who just lost someone who is a who is not a believer, and they're very upset about it, grieving through it, uh, but comforting themselves with the notion that they are in a better place. Um, you know, how do you how do you handle that? Um, yeah, that is. Oh my gosh, that's a thorny one. Um, I I, th- I think I think there is a, a great deal of wisdom in. You know, kind of going back to picking your battles. Um, you know, if someone is literally in the throes of grief, it's a you know, it's probably probably not super advisable, honestly, to to launch into the gospel in that way. Um, I, I do think that there's there's a there's a bit of wisdom in comforting them, um, in um, in in not encouraging them because there's nothing you can really encourage them. But just just being a shoulder they can cry on. Um, Using it to to love them um, and build the relationship a little bit, um, and circling back later with the gospel. I think when you're talking to someone who's that full of grief, um, it can be hugely counterproductive. Kind of going back to the fact that we are preaching to people with thoughts and feelings and preconceived notions, um, and I think it also depends a little bit on how much they're banking on that person being in a better place. Um, but you know, honestly, my, my general advice is I, those are battles I'd be very careful about picking, um, and, and when you would bring the gospel up to them, um, you can absolutely, I think, just sh- have the conversation shut down pretty quickly. Um, I, I personally think that people's grief is going to prevent you from getting an honest hearing, anyways. Um, there, there's not really any slick strategy to insert it. I mean, what you're really dealing with is a tremendous amount of emotion. Um, you know, your gospel presentation isn't going to materially differ, um, although I would absolutely focus on the person you're preaching to and, and obviously not apply it to the person who had just died, not that you would. Um, but yeah, that implication, um, they will make that connection pretty quick, pretty quick. Um, but yeah, my, my, my advice and my experience is, is, is love them, comfort them, uh, be a shoulder to cry on, and be a bit more strategic as to when you bring it up. Is that helpful at all? It may not be. That's fine. You can tell me that was a terrible answer. No. <laughs> Uh, others, are they anything else? Uh, Jose. You know, there's a there's, there's a comedian who once uh, who once said, um, whenever he sees somebody handing out anything, what they're really saying is, here, you throw this away. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, you know, you're, you're giving out the word of God. Um, 
it, you know, whether they, they read it or not, there, there's still, I think, some, some general benefit to doing that. It is a bit of a cost-benefit ratio. I mean, how much you're spending on the tracks, the likelihood that someone's going to read it. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an individual thing. I, I, I will never say that handing out the, the uh, book of Scripture is a bad idea. Um, doesn't hurt. Go ahead. Go nuts with it. Uh, there are some people, though, I think that will say, I handed out tracks. I evangelized. Well, no, you didn't. Um, totally different ball of wax. So if that's your version of evangelism, no. Um, if you're doing that as a supplement, if you're doing that as a, hey, can I talk to you? No. Would you at least read this? Totally fine. Go nuts. Um, it makes a lot of sense and it's useful. Dan. Oh, Steve. Yeah, so the question is, is uh, how, how do you evangelize someone who, uh, when, when you're having the conversation with them, they want to point out someone in their life who was maybe overbearing um, and uh, it was hypocritical or has abandoned the faith or, or some, somewhere along those lines at this point, ultimately. Um, I mean, I think, I think the, obviously, if the person is so antagonistic that they're not going to let you get a word in edgewise then you know you let them vent you try to you try to move the conversation on to a future date um if it's something where they're willing to engage with you i think you have to be explicit and and differentiate the objective reality of our message from the subjective experience of the people who name the name of christ um you can go to places like first john where you know if the, the, the people who departed from us show, shows that they were never actually part of us. Um, you know, you can you can you can go to texts like that if you want, um, and 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 say you know if the person didn't have any lasting faith, they were never a believer to begin with. You could go back to some of the parable of the soils and people who who spring up and then die off. I mean, you can explain that if you want, but I think your your main task is sort of reminding people that just because you know, Cousin Johnny was a jerk um, and claimed to be a Christian doesn't change the truth of the message. Um, you know, what we're talking about here is something that's objective and that's real, and that's really what the issue is, you know, someone making a mess of their, of their faith or ha claiming to have it but never having it in the first, first place doesn't change the message. Does that make sense? Yes. Dan. Sure. It was door to door. And I got invited into this house where there was a bunch of college students sitting around and they were studying. They were doing, uh, studying about their biology class and everything. You know, and I said, oh, what you guys doing? You know, and they said, oh, we're, we're talking about the origin. We're studying Darwin. And, 
just gave me the greatest segue. <laughs> you know, so I said, hey, have you ever stopped to think that wherever you see a, an intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer? You know, and they said, well, yeah, but that's the problem. And I said, I said the problem? <laughs> and they said, yeah. They said that the design is not intelligent. <laughs> and they shut me down so fast. Yeah, of all, of all the groups that I would probably not want to talk to, biology students are definitely up there uh, in the list. Yeah, yeah. It's a fair and point. I was just a baby. You know, I, I had just been converted myself, you know, so I was I sure. completely flabbergasted. I did not know how to answer. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, because I almost had to agree with them. <laughs> The design is good. The creatures just screwed it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we are over time. Hi, everybody else who just showed up. Um, <laughs> we, will, we will end. Let us pray, uh, and I'll step down. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity, again, to go through what you'd have for us on the subject of evangelism. May, again, we be a people who have Jesus Christ ever on our lips. And we pray that you'd be glorified in this. In Jesus' name, amen.